stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. All right, so amid this pandemic, there's been a lot of debate about how our elected leaders should continue to do their jobs. And specifically when it comes to Canada's parliament, the challenge obviously in having 338 people in a single room, uh, debating and doing all the things they would normally do, plus all the logistics involved in getting them there in the first place. And so between the, uh, you know, the having all the people in one room question, the having people flying all over the country question, everyone realized that, okay, business as usual isn't an option. So if not that, then what? Uh, do we have uh, fewer sittings of the House? Do we have uh, regular sittings of the House, but just have a you know, much smaller number of MPs who are physically present? Can technology be used? Uh, because people are, are finding ways of doing their jobs from home using technology. What's to say that uh, our politicians couldn't do so? Um, the, in the UK, Parliament there has resumed, and uh, members of Parliament are using Zoom to participate. So is, is that not something we could do here? Uh, it was interesting. There was a tweet earlier today from Calgary MP Michelle Rempel, uh, who's on the Industry Science and Technology Committee, uh, and they are using technology. But she says our first virtual meeting of the committee is 15 minutes late after nearly 45 minutes of audio testing and technical issues with about 15 MPs. Well, IT staff are doing their very best. This needs to be fixed. Can't imagine how this will work with 338 MPs. So there may be some challenges, but... Shouldn't we be looking for ways of ensuring that our democracy can continue to function? Because I, I think that is important. Uh, some interesting new research from the Samara Center for Democracy uh, compares what, what Canada's doing to what our parliamentary cousins are doing, other countries with comparable systems of government, and how are they dealing with democracy in this, this pandemic situation. Uh, you can read more about uh, this work. The website is uh, SamaraCanada.com. Uh, but joining us on the line to talk more about uh, all this, very pleased to welcome to the program, uh, Dr. Michael Morden, uh, who is Research Director with the Samara Center for Democracy. Michael, thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much. Um, so tell us a bit more about uh, this approach here, because I, I think for the most part, there are going to be some obvious differences, but we, we can do sort of an apples-to-apples apples comparison with Canada and, and other countries, can't we? Yeah, so we were looking at uh, similar jurisdictions, so UK, Australia, New Zealand, are Commonwealth cousins who have you know, a very not not the same but very similar uh, constitutions, uh, similar institutions, and uh, what you find is that everyone is striking a slightly different uh, balance between expediency, you know, getting getting the emergency measures out the door. Um, and 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 the, the things that parliaments are supposed to do slow things down, scrutinize, um, uh, ensure representation, and uh, and I think you know the general impression I get is that everyone's trying to build the plane while they're flying it, and uh, and no 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 parliament has really landed on a really ter terrific approach yet. Everyone's sort of feeling through the dark and and striking that balance in, in slightly different ways. Yeah. And I, I mean, the, the, the obvious similarity, all four countries are dealing with the same kind of emergency circumstances that, that Canada is. So uh, in terms of giving government flexibility to make decisions, but also trying to you know find ways of still holding government to account. I mean, the, these are the kinds of balances that, that all these countries are trying to strike, I would imagine. Yeah, that, that is basically the challenge, and it's the challenge everywhere. So, you know, if, if we have unique challenges, 
you know, certainly the size of Canada poses um, some logistical issues, as you were describing, for convening Parliament. Not so different from Australia, but Australia has effectively uh, suspended Parliament for the time being. In Canada, you know, where we've had these emergency sittings in the last, well, in uh, a couple times in March and, and a couple times now in April, uh, we've passed big measures using a skeleton crew of MPs, so just a small number, sort of 30-ish MPs, um, enough to make quorum, enough to you know, have a formal session, but, mm-hmm. but um, you know, sort of scattered throughout the chamber so that you could um, observe social distancing, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and the preference has been for MPs who don't have to travel very far. Um, so this poses... It poses a problem. It, it, what it means is the the regional representation uh, aspect of what our parliament is supposed to do has kind of fallen out of the picture. So, for example, the last time parliament sat uh, to pass some you know, pretty important measures, uh, there was nobody there from any of the northern territories, no one from uh, east of New Brunswick, uh, no one from Manitoba. Certainly, Alberta was was heavily underrepresented. So that's one issue, you know, that's probably harder here to figure out than, than say, in the UK, um, where regions really matter. I mean, when you're thinking about COVID, every outbreak is, is effectively regional, and they're playing out at, you know, different rates around the country. The uh, the response uh, is going to be felt differently, the economic consequences. So, you know, that's one issue where Canada has been more challenged to figure out you know, to not let that really critical piece of how our parliamentary democracy is supposed to work uh, fall out. And, and I think that's a big reason why we're starting to look at um, bringing more of Parliament online. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it's interesting, too, because I think it's, there, there is some cynicism. Uh, when it comes to Parliament. And, and it's interesting when you talk about the geographical issues that it, it does matter, I think, to have that representation, even though a lot of people maybe think that, you know, once you, once you're a Liberal MP or a Conservative MP or whatever, you're just, you're towing the party line and, and nothing else really matters. Or, or even more broadly, the notion that, well, Parliament's all for show anyway. You know, what what does it really matter if, if Parliament is sitting? But But why does this all matter, in your view? Yeah, I mean, I think that's totally fair. And, and I understand this Cynicism. I guess you know my concern in a way is we don't want that to be true, uh, and we certainly don't want to almost formalize it. And with these right. skeleton crews, what you've had is you know, one one issue is uh, all the regions haven't been equitably represented or represented in, in proportion to their normal seats in the house. The other issue is that basically the parties have said, okay, say there's going to be 30 members, we'll divide those up between us in proportion to how many seats we have in the house. So each party gets sort of proportionately the same amount of representation. But then it's basically up to the leader about who, who attends, who who takes their seat. So there was an issue in March where, where one MP, a, a conservative MP, Scott Reed from Ontario, was basically told, you can't come, you're not one of the ones we've chosen. Uh, he pushed back, he ended up turning up um, and and probably to, uh, caught some grief for it. And that's, you know, we don't we don't elect a party, we, we, we elect an individual from our community, who in theory is supposed to go and and um, and, uh, and and ensure that our community's interests are are reflected in national debates. And right now, MPs are on phones and on email constantly hearing about, like, when taking questions and, and hearing about how this stuff is playing out in their communities. Again, it's it's there's strong regional dimensions to this, and we want individual MPs to be able to. Um, 
get on the record and be heard where they feel you know something has, has fallen out of the national response or, or you know something isn't been attended to uh, and so it's it's true that too often even in normal times our parliament kind of operates just you know uh, um, where the parties are are these single voting blocks we don't want that to be true uh, we certainly don't want that to be true now and we don't want to um, we don't want to accept uh, an adaptation which basically treats it like too true like oh, we know the individual doesn't matter we know that community isn't really represented, so let's just leave it up to the parties. So I think it's important in these kinds of moments to push back, because otherwise you kind of get this, you know, a new normal where, where the, the local dimension of representation is really, is really uh, diminished. Right. And, and so, I mean, there's, there's a, I don't know if urgency is the right word, but there's a need to, to figure something out here because, you know, we're likely to be under some degree of, you know, these, these health measures uh, for some time, even potentially. Yeah. So, um, you know, we got to figure out a way where parliament can function. And that's where this study looks at some of the ideas in other countries. I mean, New Zealand, as an example, they've got a special committee set up to specifically review how the government's handling the, the pandemic response. That's that's maybe something we could look at here. The idea of using technology uh, for, for debates to involve more MPs, that might be something worth looking at. What, what should be on the table, do you think? I think uh, I think the technology piece is one that we, we're, I, I think it's it's almost inevitable that's where we're going to go. And not because it's it's perfect or, or even pretty. I mean, you, you read the, the tweet from Michelle Rempel, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's that's the way it's going to look for a while. It's going to be bumpy um, and glitchy. Uh, and you've seen this um, where where parliaments around the world have gone virtual faster. For example, yesterday, one of the first parliaments to go fully virtual was the was the Welsh National Assembly, and there have been all kinds of issues. I mean, yesterday, uh, a minister addressed the assembly and then left his microphone live and, and went and had a sort of you know a sweary monologue okay. about his colleagues. Of course, it was being cast across. I mean, this kind of stuff is unfortunately it's, it's probably going to happen, and I think we have to have some tolerance for the messiness. But uh, using those virtual tools are going to get us closer to things like equitable representation across the country, even if it doesn't get us all the way, because not every community has the same kind of broadband access. It's probably as as good as it's going to get. So the U.K. has taken some steps just even this week. uh, It looks like, you know, in in effect, they'll have almost a full virtual parliament running. Uh, They're not able to vote remotely yet, but they're getting there. Um, that's true in the European Parliament. Um, so, so there's been some some movement in that direction. You know, it's it's going to take a little while to to bring online. But what we have right now in Canada is, is a reasonable, I think, stopgap. Where now uh, we're going to have um, three sort of question period type meetings uh, per week, and two of them will permit teleconferencing. That's fine for you know a few weeks, and then you know maybe a month. But at a certain point. We're going to have to equip members to be able to vote remotely. I mean, that's, the, I think, the big sort of sticking point. So we're going to need, I think, to move towards uh, a, a more complete virtual parliament because, like you said, it, it's going to be it's going to be a while. And, I, and I've spoken to MPs from, for example, from from remote communities who have said, you know, I don't want to be the vector for this disease. I don't want to go to Ottawa and bring it back, you know, and, and, yeah, and exactly. um strain strain uh, my community's healthcare system, that kind of thing. So I think it's a marathon, not a sprint, and, and we're going to have to think creatively about uh, making use of technology, even though it's, it's probably not going to be pretty. 
Yeah, indeed. Uh, much more on all of this is mentioned, SamaraCanada.com. Michael, thanks so much for making some time for us here this afternoon. Appreciate it. Thanks, Robert. Appreciate it. All right, take care. Michael Morden is uh, Director of Research with the Samara Center for Democracy. And look, I, I, I do think as cynical as we can get about politics and parliament and MPs, uh, they, do, they do have jobs to do. Uh, we do need to still have debate. We do need to still have scrutiny and accountability. And so let's figure out ways of doing it. The idea of the quorum, the minimum number of MPs being there for certain matters, that, that's kind of a necessary evil in, in a way, if you can phrase it that way as a way of, of at least allowing votes to occur and getting things passed that need to get passed. And again, and, and credit to the opposition, because I, I think they've been flexible where necessary in, in allowing the government to make big decisions about uh, economic response. But how do we ensure broader debate without flying everybody to the nation's capital? So there, there's going to be some challenges there. Our number here, 403-974-8255, 974-TALK. Back with some time for your calls here right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.